So we are continued to be blessed, and we are blessed by our spiritual leader. This morning's charismatic speaker is the dynamic spiritual director of the largest New Thought community in Canada. Please welcome Reverend Patrick Cameron. I brought my Amy Bishop CDs with me because she, so I owe you 40 bucks. But believe me, there's nobody on this planet I'd rather owe $40. What happens is if I don't get them now, they're gone. So I got my two. Try and take them. All right. So what I'd like to invite you to do this morning, welcome, is uh, as we go into our prayer and our song, we're going to switch it up a little bit this morning. I'm going to invite you to just do a short spiritual practice with me. And a couple things that I think are valuable. I spent a week in Seattle with uh, 11 other ministers. I was invited there. I've been three times to this particular group. It's called the Ongoing Ministers Education. And 11 of the, well, 12, I was there too, uh, of the, the fastest and most vibrant communities in North America, we're there, and we shared best practices, which was wonderful. And so the practice, I want to share a practice with you that we did this week. It's quite simple and beautiful, but I just thought, how lovely. And it's really about um, opening up to the present moment in a way that, in a doorway, in a portal of, of opportunity. So I'm going to invite you to, in a moment, close your eyes. But most of the, the exercise is about closing your eyes. So... If you've already closed your eyes, please open them because it's you're way ahead of me. <laughs> but it's really the opportunity to, rather than my experience with closing my eyes, is I usually slam them shut. When someone says, close your eyes, bang, I close my eyes. I'm going to invite you to close your eyes really slowly, as if your eyelids are heavy. And yet, don't close them all the way. Let a sliver of light continue so that you sort of lick through that haze. I'm going to invite you to just simply take your time to close your eyes now. And I'm going to time us for 90 seconds of silence while we hold that. gentleness that we close our eyes with, but not quite all the way. Notice your heartbeat. Notice your breathing. Notice the intelligence within this beautiful body temple that knows exactly what to do to sustain us.
So I invite you to know with me in this moment the reminder of who we are and whose we are. One life, one power. That life is perfect. That life is spirit's life. That life is my life, your life, right here, right now. It always has been and always will be. And so what is alive for you this day is right and perfect, whatever it may be. The beauty of this moment and this beauty of this opportunity is each moment, each thought, we get an opportunity to decide what meaning we give to it, whatever the thought is. And what I would suggest to you in this moment, all of it, all of it, all of it is God. In that I am consciousness, all of it is God. Everywhere I look, there's not a spot where God is not. And the third piece of this, the I am, everywhere I look is God, are the first two. And the third one is, what do I adore? What do I adore? What can I crack my heart open to and give myself to completely? 100%, no withholding, unconditionally, I am yours. And so I would suggest to you as we do that with spirit, with this I am that we are, that that infinite intelligence and wisdom and that vibration of the Most High is the opportunity to be so present and fully orbed within our being. For that is the language, that is the sweet language of unconditional love that Divine Spirit so beautifully recognizes. So wherever we are on our path, to stop in this moment, to gently hold our eyes slightly open in that gentleness and that calmness and that beauty and peace and to understand that, they, that we are the thing itself. Everywhere we look, we see the thing itself with that new vision and those new eyes gazing through that pathway of light in our eyes in understanding it is our opportunity to move into that sacred space of adoration of what I give myself to. For what we give ourselves to gives back to us. It is the law of cause and effect. So I give thanks this day for this and so much more. I give thanks for your quiet and your peace and the consciousness you bring and being fully present now. For it is being present now with one another where spirit can show up most beautifully. That is our gift to one another, to ourselves, to this planet. Let us know that the love that we represent here and now radiates out from this sanctuary, in, from this community in ways and places and means we cannot even comprehend. But we are so fully orbed in this presence, in this knowing that wherever love is necessary, wherever consciousness is necessary, wherever the genius of the universe is necessary, we know that everyone seeking this, consciously or unconsciously, has everything they need, as do we. For this I give thanks. I give thanks for this blessing as we move into our beautiful song together. And sing it beautifully and gently with me this day. In this very room There's quite enough love For all the world And in this very room There's quite enough joy for and there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear for spirit one spirit is in this very
covenant God moment here. And you can open your eyes if you'd like. The guy uh, was talking to his psychiatrist one day. And he says, Doc, my brother, he's, he's crazy. He thinks he's a chicken. And the doctor says, well, have you gotten him some help? Have you, you know, sought professional assistance for him? He says, well, I would, but we need the eggs. <laughs> well, we do need the eggs, don't we? So that kind of funny story, because about a third of you laughed. Um, the 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 metaphor in it, I think, is so powerful in that how many things do we hang on to in our lives that are not true about ourselves, but we think they're necessary? How many things do we have going for ourselves within our being that they're an interesting idea and they keep us engaged with life, but may not be true about ourselves? So I wanted to talk a bit about uh, the art and heart of inspiration today. And I thought... I learned a great deal about this all week. I had uh, an opportunity. I was in a, in a beautiful... So let me tell you about this ongoing minister's education thing I've been invited to three times now. And a lot of the things that we do here have come from that, and it's been wonderful. There's, there's exciting and powerful things, and, and I brought back bags full of information that I've learned over time to you know, share it uh, discreetly because if I throw it all out there at once, people just kind of roll their eyes and... It tightens everybody up, but, it, but it's very, it's a, it was a powerful experience. And part of the power of the experience was with it, to be in a room of, of such great consciousness, of, of, and maybe great isn't the word, but such clarity and, and, and purpose, and people understanding, people understanding why they're showing up in the world, why we're here. Do you know why you're here? You understand why you've come here? Why, do you remember today who you have come here to be? Because you knew that at one time. You knew at one time who you came here to be. And so wherever you are on the journey, we'll talk a bit about that today, and I'll, I'll hopefully tie some of that together for you. But why have you come here to, to, to be here? Why is that that you are here? It's a great question. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an endless question. As Dr. Holmes said, our teaching goes in, to infinity in both directions and up and down. We never, we never know all of the answers, which is, is part of this journey. It would be easy if someone told us why we're here and, and, and what we're doing. And a lot of people have tried over the years, and we've accepted that for ourselves. But that may not be our truth. It may be their truth. So today, whatever is alive for you today... What, what are you making this day, this moment, mean for you? What are you making this moment mean for you? What am I making this moment mean for me? Dr. Holmes said that if God be for us, no, nothing can be against us. So if this is true, then how could we have an adversary? If no one is against me, if nothing is against me, then how could I have an adversary? Because what he understood is all of it is for us. All of it is for us. And so for, for me, when I look at this, and I, I, as I, I said, this week was so rich and full for me with information and fellowship and, and love. 
In my treatment, I talked a little bit about our opening uh, spiritual mind treatment, which is affirmative prayer. So if you're here for the first time, it's not some special uh, spell that we cast. You know, it's, um, it, it, but it is a knowing. It is praying from a consciousness of. The thing that's most powerful about Dr. Michael Beckwith, if you don't have your tickets, get your tickets, because I'm pretty sure this thing's going to be sold out. But praying, the thing about visioning that is so powerful is that the thing, and many times it gets overlooked because we think of visioning. And a couple years ago, Reverend Catherine Cardinal did a, a, an event here and was on visioning, and we had a lot of people from the community come. And one guy stood up at the end and said, Well, what's the difference between brainstorming and visioning? And it was a great question because if you don't understand the spiritual component to it, but visioning is all about being, visioning is about standing and allowing yourself to be in the consciousness of, of, of that, the sacred. And what I know is that you and I, the one thing I'm clear about is that you and I are here to share our wholeness. You and I are here to share our wholeness. When we're here together, when we just show up in life as it is and present with one another, what happens is then spirit has an opportunity. We are so closely aligned with spirit. If we are struggling and, we are, and we're, we're, we're wrestling with something in our own awareness, or we're, we're, there's an obstacle going on for us, what all it simply does for us not that that isn't right and perfect, but it limits that, that genius of the universe to have its way by means of us and to real, reveal the next best steps for us. And so spiritual practice is not about that we always stay in this state of bliss and peace. I find that my journey, my journey has not, life hasn't gotten easier. I think sometimes we come to this and we think life's going to get easier. Life, I don't think life gets easier. What happens with life, bless you, what happens with life is it gets clearer. And as it gets clearer, then the ways that we used to process experience and deal with experiences changes. And so what happens for me is I make healthier choices sooner. Because I understand that I want to live the best way I can. I want to show up in my wholeness and as complete as I can, as often as I can. The reason I'm so acutely and beautifully married to this idea is that I have shown up as, at my worst many times. See, that's the great thing about showing up at, at your worst. The things that you are ashamed of. The things that embarrass you. The things that, as you look back over your life, it sort of you know, makes the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. <laughs> I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I said that. But I did. And so what I understand with that is I take that experience and I realize, you know what, that's not how I want to show up. I want to show up as my best. I want to show up. And my best, I know, for me, is not about doing more. It's about that state of being. That's why, that's why uh, visioning, visioning is so important. And so there's three elements. Peter Russell talks about three ways that, that we can interact with, with, with spirit and the ideas. And I think they're three important ideas. And I think the first two we're really familiar with. The first one is that I am, the I am consciousness. There's one life. That life is God's life. That life is spirit's life. That life is perfect. We claim it as our own right here and right now. That life is my life. And that's very powerful spiritual practice. And I continue to do it. I continue to do it and continue to do it and continue to do it because what it does is it brings me back to an awareness about the truth of my being despite what my life looks like. And it helps me live in the clarity that I long to experience. So one life, my life, your life. And the other, so number two is that then everywhere I look. That's true for me. It's true for everyone. There's not a spot where God is not. Everywhere I look, everything I see, everything I touch, it's God. I was watching a, a, a video I, um, the other day of a guy that was, that was producing uh, Michael Jackson's 
The movie they're putting out is going to be out for two weeks. Yeah, right. They're going to release it for two weeks. So can you imagine the lines that are going to line up for this thing? Anyway, it's about his tour and all these things. And, and so he couldn't sleep. And the guy that, uh, I forget his last name, his first name, but his last name was, I think, Ortega. And he worked with Michael throughout the years, choreographer, director, and he was putting together his new production that was going to take it to London. They were eight days away from going to London when he passed away. And so he was... Uh, having trouble sleeping. And he said to this guy, look, I, I can't, you know, I'm not sleeping. I'm so wired. I know, boy, do I know this feeling. I'm so wired up with ideas and it just keeps coming and coming and coming. And he says, Michael, you know what we'll do when we go to London, forget all this right now. Just get some rest, get some sleep. When we get to London, we're, we're doing a show. We'll rent you a studio and you can go into the studio and all these songs that are showing up and all these ideas that are showing up. He said, we'll go ahead and you can, you can write there and you can do all these things. And Michael looked at him and said, I can't do that. If I don't take it now, Prince will get it. You know the artist prince? Not his son, but the artist prince who he loved and admired. See what Michael, and see this is so true metaphysically because the intelligence of the universe is always seeking a place, an outlet for the genius. And if we're, and we're so busy struggling, then the genius says, well, here's another outlet. Water always finds its own level. And I thought, wow, what a, what a cool idea. This is so true. So how, how aware and clear can I stay in the moment so that I can capture those ideas, the next great idea? that I, you, Because for me, when we're alive with that idea, with that unbounded freedom and creativity, they asked me at the ministers, uh, everybody's sharing stuff, and I said, look, you guys, this is what I know about my life. I'm committed to freedom and creativity. You want to ask me what my life's about? It's freedom and creativity. And not unbounded, and not in a wild, crazy way, but in ways that are meaningful and powerful and wonderful. And so for me, everything in my life now is, does this support me in freedom and creativity? includes my emotional state. It includes the things that I do throughout the day. And what we're doing here, the great thing about having a, a, a sum total or a critical mass of people is it allows us to do things with ministries that we can't do without that. You know, to have a full-time youth minister would be wonderful. To have some things that, that we can do here and, and things we can do in the community that we're moving into. To be of service out in the world. Because at the end of the day, it's all about serving. It's all about giving. Because we're so, our lives are so complete we're, we stand in such clear financial serenity. When we stand in a financial serenity, we're always supplied. See, I don't think we want supply, supply, supply. How much is enough? We've seen what happens when it's always more, 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 more. I'm not interested in more, 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 more. Because the paradox is if I stand in financial serenity, I've always got enough. And I'm in joy about it. i got enough for today. You know, today I, had a, I got up and we had breakfast today. All I needed to, to do it one time. I didn't need 16 breakfasts there. Well, I, I sometimes I feel like I could use 16 breakfasts. But, but the point being is for all of us is to stand in that serenity, stand in that groundedness, stand in the clarity. And then when we're present with ourselves, we can share with the world. We can give to the world. And that's what I want to do. I came away from that meeting and I was just sitting in that room with such clear thinkers. And the, the great thing is, too, is that I realized that as ministers, as leaders of community, we all have the same challenges. Always have the same challenges. We started talking about one of the things we, we ask, we ask uh, our leadership here is to be very, very supportive financially. Everybody, if you're on leadership here, the expectation is to grow, develop the, the activity of tithing, which is 10%. Which for many of these ministers, I hear them talking, that's just a starting point. It's just a starting point. And we've, we've started to shift the culture here, and it's been uncomfortable. And I've watched it. And I, I watch people, and I, I keep an eye on it because you can't be in leadership without investment. So you can't be in leadership here without investment. Investment is financial. 
And I get it so clearly, and I thought, wow, I remember why we started this again. Because I was reminded, Kathy Ann Lewis, somebody said to her, Kathy Ann, I understand that you bring in everybody at the end of the year, and they all have to show you their W-2 form. And Kathy Ann Lewis says, what? And he said, well, that's the rumor. He said, no. But the Kathy Ann is so diligent. Now, this is a woman with a, with a membership of 3,000 people. An amazing, an amazing budget. And the reason I bring this up is because Emmett Fox said that we give, we give financially to where the greatest good can be expressed in the world. And I love that. Give to where the greatest good can be expressed in the world. I thought, wow. So then I thought, well, what do you do? Because you have people that are like, well, I give to the March of Dimes and I give the United Way. And Kathy Ann said, what I do with my people, I sit down and we pray. We pray on it. Because if your leadership is restricted, if you want to be in leadership and you're restricted financially, that's just the flow of life. That's just fear. To, to do the treatment work. And, the, and, the, and I thought, what a great idea. Affirmative prayer. Never would have thought of that. <laughs> Affirmative prayer, because we want to live in the freedom. We want to live in the creativity, all of us, not just me. To live in the freedom and to have the skills and to have the clarity when things show up, we can move through them with the grace and the ease and the knowing. And that's a beautiful thing about life. That's a beautiful thing about playing small. That's a beautiful thing about showing up at your worst. I got nothing I can't give. Oh my gosh, what a great place to start. But I came away and I thought, wow, we all have the same challenges. Because you love people. But when you're called to a bigger idea, when you know that the, the planet needs this teaching like never before, and to share it in ways that are practical and powerful, we don't have to go convert anyone. We can just say to people, do you remember why you decided to show up here? Because you knew at one point in time, and if they say, I don't, then you can say, well, let's start there. Why did we show up here? What meaning am I giving to my life this day? And so for me, that's an inspiration to go and to spend time with these beautiful people. People that I, I love and admire, and they pour their hearts out, and they ask for prayer support. I got there the first day. I had this pain in my left, the base of my thumb, for about three months. And I thought it was this, and I thought it was that. And it has persisted. And, it, and, and, it, and so I got there, and I said to, to Dr. Ken Gordon at the Kelowna Center, he was there, and Rev. Moira Fox and myself were the three ministers invited from the International Centers. The rest were from the United Centers. We're doing this reintegration. And so I said to Dr. Ken, I said, you know, I'm just, I'm distracted all the time because every time I move my left hand, I, I don't expect pain, but it, it, there's times when it just about knocks me out. It hurts so much. And uh, he said, oh, okay. And so I got up the next day and I didn't notice and, you know, I'm getting ready to go to the meeting. And he says, how's your hand? And I said, it's pain-free. He goes, yeah, I've been praying for you. He said, I didn't think you'd mind. I thought, what a novel idea. <laughs> Spiritual mind treatment. He said, yeah. And it has felt a hundred times better since I've come home. And a part of it, I think, is just that the reminder of the lack of, what am I not reaching out and grabbing? What am I not accepting? What's, what great good is trying to get to me that I'm, I'm, I'm blocking in some way, shape, or form? And that's the meditation I have about it. Because I don't expect to live life in pain. I don't. I don't expect to live life in lack and limitation. I expect us to continue to grow the consciousness and give birth to the consciousness that makes this center, this community in your life, as powerful and as wonderful, as creative and free and abundant. To live in the serenity, the financial serenity of life. To understand whatever we have is a blessing. That we don't need 15 meals before us. One's enough. And as my wife Laura always says, as I start to order too much food, she said, Pat, there's another meal in four hours. Take it easy. <laughs> She's right. Or five. Or five hours. One of my books that I'm in love with right now is Broken Open by Elizabeth Lesser. 
And she tells a wonderful story in here. Well, every chapter is a wonderful story, in my opinion. It's funny, I, I, got, on, I got home on Friday, uh, late Friday evening. And uh, I told Laura, because usually I measure my success of my trips by what I forget to take with me. And then I have to buy it when I'm there and what I leave. And so I got off the plane and I said, I did pretty good, honey. I left my razor, the shave cream, and the shampoo in the shower as I was leaving the hotel, which is pretty good for me. That's not too expensive. But I had taken my broken open, which is all dog-eared and marked and, and, and uh, highlighted, and I put it in the pocket in front of me on the plane. So somebody's reading it somewhere right now, I'm sure. I tied it back to the universe. But Elizabeth Lesser was the founder, one of the founders of the Omega Institute. And she's got a chapter in here on page uh, 258 called For Hugo. And the story is, I think, a beautiful story about inspiration, about why we're here, why we've shown up. And Hugo is a 10-year-old boy. She gets a phone call from a friend of hers, and, and, and she finds out that Hugo is this 10-year-old boy, and he's been diagnosed with leukemia. And so she knows his stepmom really well and knows the dad, and, and he knows the whole family. And so it's a very small town that she lives in, and everybody knows everybody's business, which is good most of the time. So anyway, she meets some friends of hers at a restaurant, local restaurant, and they're having dinner. And the, the woman that she's meeting, Maria, has written a book. Her daughter died at the age of four. And Maria wrote a book called Hannah's Gift. Her daughter Hannah passed away from cancer. And it sort of became a Bible for people that have gone through this experience. And so Maria's talking to her about Hugo and the family. And they're in the restaurant. And all of a sudden they look across the room. And here at a long table sits Hugo, his mom and dad, and the kids. And she says, Maria, oh my gosh, there they are. Because they're talking about this. And they're concerned. Because they care. And so Maria says, we'll go over there. And Elizabeth says, what am I going to do? What am I going to do if I go over there? And she says, you don't have to do anything. Just show up. And she said, oh, okay. So she, and you know, isn't it nice to have the, the coaching, the, the healthy coaching in our lives when we, we don't know, when we're not clear? And so she walks over and she sees Hugo. And she says, Hugo, what are you thinking about? And Hugo, this 10-year-old boy, would just find out that afternoon he's got to go through this chemotherapy. He says, I don't want to think about anything. Elizabeth says, children don't project far into the future, nor do they dwell in the distant past. And tonight he didn't want to think about being sick or the fact that his family was scared or that his life was suddenly different. I tried to chat with him about his dance recital, because Hugo's a dancer, which he would now miss, and about school and friends. Hugo, who is a talented dancer with a passion for any form of movement, from ballet to hip-hop, normally would have wanted to talk about his dance class. So I stopped talking, and I just sat there with my arm around him. And I did what Maria told me to do. I just showed up. Just showed up for this guy. Because so many times we think we're going to fix it. And there's a poem that she shares here from Sufi. Because she talks about the presence of God. And I'll share this because I think it's beautiful. And I think this is what happens for us in community. Because we're, we're a place, I think, where God can show up. We have this conversation, and in the conversation, someone told me they were going out at the, after the first service, and they said, just coming in here, the energy here. It's a vibration. It's a, it's a, we step into it, and it's just a wonderful thing. It's a celebration. It's so powerful. She says this, uh, Elizabeth continues, in the absence, absence of small talk, as we sat in the fresh wound of Hugo's diagnosis, something I can only call a sacred presence wrapped its atmospheric arms around the table. I could almost see the, prem- the presence sitting in the corner, quietly tapping its foot to a majestic rhythm. 
It was as if, because we were showing up, God could show up too. Not the severe and judgmental God of tired religions, but the God that children know about. The God that the Sufi poet Hafez wrote about. And his poem is this. Not the God of names, not the God of don'ts, nor the God who ever does anything weird. But the God who only knows four words and keeps repeating them and saying, come dance with me. Come dance with me. See, God is a lover. So Peter Russell talks about it. The I am. God is everywhere present. And the third one is what do I adore? What do I adore? And we forget that devotional piece sometimes. But what do I adore cracks us open. And this is a moment of what do I adore? He, she's adoring Hugo and the family and, and the experiences they're having. And this is the way, these are the opportunities we have. I think when we come here together, we have this celebration. Amy's up singing her song. I adore Amy. She just, oh my, talent? Genius? Yeah, I'm all for that. And when you, you know, when you spot it, you got it? If you want to develop the genius in your life, start seeing it in others. Start seeing it in others instead of looking for blaming and shaming. You know, Michael Jackson had a lot of issues from what we hear. But when you watch him perform, man, he was, he was genius personified. It's a gift to the planet. He shared his gift. He's probably planning another concert right now as we speak. Who knows? I don't think it's ever lost. We carry it on in consciousness. She says this. I felt then at the table that if everyone in Hugo's family could remember in the months to come the dancing God who joined them in the restaurant that night, they would all be well. No matter what the outcome, all would be well if they took their direction from the God who only knows four words and kept repeating them saying, come dance with me. Come dance with me. Come dance with me. There's something that's longing to dance with you. And you're longing to dance with it. And it's a beautiful dance. And it provides so much for us. I read this story at the, at the first service. And a mother was going through the, the, the line who lost her son. When she first came here, she told me the story of how she lost her beautiful son to cancer. And she said, you know, six months ago, if you read that story to me, I would be a puddle on the floor. And she said, now I understand. And she said, and please share this if you feel like you want to share it. She said, now I understand that a cure and a healing are different. I wanted a cure for my son. But she said, what I've received as a result is a healing. The dancing God is always with us, but it often takes a calamity to make room for him at the table. And when he shows up, we suddenly understand what the prophets and saints have been talking about for thousands of years. Suddenly we are part of what we have only heard tell of before. A love that lives on when all else has died. A love that links us together across boundaries of time and space. I saw that right after the September 11th in New York City. I felt that when my father died, I was sensing that now as my friends experienced the suffering of their child. I saw them standing naked and humbled before the altar of the most unaffected kind of human love. I could practically see the cracks in their egos, as Ram Dass would say, allowing them to regard each other with the eyes of the dancing God. There was no telling how long this bigger perspective would last, but for the moment they all seemed to know something that God knows, that we are sent here to love each other. To love each other and to help each other. That our lives are about each other, 
All of our other plans fly out the windows in such moments of awakening. Plans for great things are replaced by the greatest thing of all, which turns out to be love. It is in its simplest, most tender, more personal, most personal form. Why do awakened hearts go back to sleep? Why do we wake up and go back to sleep? I don't know. We do. I've done that. You wake up, forget. For a while after September 11th, it seemed that New Yorkers would never lose their generosity and kindness. After my father died, I felt nothing but gratitude for the people closest to me. And that night in the restaurant, the sweetness of the connection among all those in Hugo's family was so palpable that we could have scooped it up and served it as a cosmic aphrodisiac to the whole room. After one bite, there would be no doubt as the purpose of life. We stop messing around, and we get down to the business of loving each other. What's the healthiest form of love? As I said earlier, I don't think life gets easier, but it gets clearer. It gets clearer. And when we're clearer, then we spend less and less time pining and puling about the conditions of our life and realize there's something for me to know here. I mean, I've been doing this for over 20 years. I've got this blinding pain in my left hand that I've been treating for every moment, uh, every day. And I expect it to go away, and then all of a sudden it jumps up and bites me again. It, it took me three months, and I didn't even ask for it, for someone to finally say, Let me, I've been praying for you. I didn't think you'd mind. Thought, wow. If I'm forgetting this, and I do this for a living, how often might you forget it? For us, the, the, the teaching we have and the tools that we have are life transformational. And, and so for you to understand who you are and what your purpose is. So what is your purpose? Do you remember why you showed up here? I think all of us have shown up here to express the perfection of spirit as you. To express the perfection of spirit as you. Are you expressing that perfection? How are you doing with that? And, and for me, one of the beautiful things about it is, what do I adore? I watched Mike Tyson the other day. He was interviewed on Oprah. And he said, you know, and he was talking about his journey. What a tortured man. He cried through most of the interview. Just pouring himself out, crying and crying. And Mike doesn't have the vocabulary. And he doesn't have the experiences that, that many of us are blessed with. His journey and his, his, uh, his challenges are different. But he said, you know, I have to do my own work. And he said, it sounds selfish, but man, if I'm not selfish, I'm going to destroy myself and those I love around me. And now that's an extreme version of it. Because this man has made a living. His, his I am, the meaning that he gave to his life, he said, I knew that when I was in the ring, I was a god. It wasn't the god, but I was the god warrior. There to destroy. That was what my life was about. So Mike found something to give meaning to his life. I don't think it's a very big idea, a very uh, idea that is in, in alignment with spirit, but it's an example of whatever we decide, spirit says yes. It can do no other thing because it is based on a law. It's not arbitrary and capricious. It's not an anthropomorphic God, a man on a white cloud. It is this presence. It is a vibration. It is everywhere present. It is in and through and has all of us. And that is why the I am is so powerful because that I am statement moves aside the, the, the cloud of that. And we can stand in it with greater clarity. And then another great practice is to see it everywhere. To see it everywhere. It's so easy to see it in children. And when we see it everywhere, to adore it. To adore it. But if we're unable to adore ourselves, we can't adore another person. 
In another chapter in this book, Elizabeth Lesser talks about her in a section called The Shaman Lover. And she talks about the, the, the dissolving of her first marriage and how she mourned that because she knew she would never bring the same innocence to a relationship. But that fantasy she had was not real. It was not grounded in wholeness. And she'd gotten into this relationship with another man that, awo- that woke her up. Her shaman lover, she called it. And she knew at some point in time she had to dump them both. She had to leave both of them. Because not, neither one of them was based in wholeness and in truth. And so at the end of that chapter, she talks about may you, in your next relationship, wherever you are, in an old relationship with someone that you have been in relationship with, or a new relationship, may it be that two people that are whole come together. Maybe two people that are grounded in truth, that are so committed to truth. Because when you're committed to the truth of your being, there's a vibrancy there. There's a, there's a, there's a resonance there that is powerful and wonderful. But if you're both playing and hiding from one another, then that's what you're going to do. And Spirit says yes to that as well. But to continue to do the work, to continue to clarify consciousness, and to show up as two whole, complete people who love the truth more than anything else, the truth of our being. And see, when we're in that state, when we're in that awareness, then we bring our completeness to it. We bring our wholeness to it. Then we can just sit with one another, around one another's arms around us. And say, I'm here for you. Just show up. That's what great practitioners do. You're in a room with a practitioner. You're asking for prayer support, and they're praying for 15 minutes, and there's, they're dripping sweat at the end of it. You might want to find a different practitioner. It is a knowing and a clarity, grounded in the truth of being. And then when you bring that wholeness, spirit can show up. That's what all the great avatars have shown and demonstrated. Jesus, he stood in that awareness. He stood in that, that clarity of being. He, he understood the perfection. His oneness, God is everywhere present, and I adore you. His love, his unconditional love for all. But he showed up so full of it. He showed up so... Elizabeth Lesser says this about her experience in this this relationship that broke her open. She said, "I, I decided at that moment when I left my marriage and I left this individual because it was toxic, but he came along at a time when I needed to be broken open. She said, I decided then my commitment to my life was that I would transform fear into openness. I would transform blame into responsibility. I would transform hubris, which means pride. In ancient Greek, hubris was the number one sin. Pride. This egoic sense of self about life. This hubris, I would transform it to humility. There's a paradox is when we're humble to it. See, it requires an opening up. It requires humility. And it's paradoxical because you stand in that, that humbleness and you welcome it and say, Spirit, whatever there is for me to become in this moment, I'm available to that. And the, the, the wonderful thing is, is that we are filled with the ideas and the vibration and the motivation and the opportunities and the teachers and the guides and the mentors and the examples that allow us to move forward. That was what I was doing in this room with 11 other ministers. It was like, wow, what a gift. I kept saying over and over, what a gift to be here and to hear this information and to have this experience with these, these people that have made such a difference on the planet. And to be invited. To the, it was just like, it was amazing. Elizabeth said, I want to trade my shame, my embarrassment at being human for the kind of wisdom that makes for a happy, kind, and courageous life. We've all been through that. But we can trade all those things in. We can trade them all in, right now. And those tools are once again, the I am. One life, God's life, perfect, my life. Everywhere I look, everything I see, every person, everywhere I look, that's the the emanation of God. However perfect or imperfect it looks to me. 
to call that forth in one another. That's being a practical mystic. You know, the, the, the stories I've heard of the teacher Jesus, he, he hung out with the, the, the lowest of the low. Because they understood him. They were probably cracked open. They had no lower to go. You know, in a 12-step program, they talk about hitting rock bottom. Sometimes they haven't hit rock bottom yet. So those folks probably had hit rock bottom. They were teachable. They were open. They weren't so full of information and their own sense of being, the hubris of their being, that they were permeable. And then what do you adore? What do you adore? Are you adoring something? Did you get up this morning and say, what will I be inspired by? And do you adore that? I adore clarity. I adore health. I adore abundance. I adore the laughter, the joy. I think it's, it's, I just think life is just so much, it's so sweet to find the laughter, to find the joy, wherever we are. And to just live that. And when God says, come dance with me, to do the dance, to do the dance. Amy's going to do, are you going to do the same song? We're going to get up and dance here in a moment. But you know, I look out, I have to tell you, I look at, I look at the faces, I talked about this now for two hours this morning, or I've been thinking about it for a week. And I, there's not a place I look that I don't adore you. And in and, and, and the, the healthiest and grounded way, I, groundedness of, of truth that I can be. Adore you. You're beautiful people that continue to do the work and to ask the hard questions and to go through the experiences of life to be shaped and molded. You haven't given up. And if you've given up or you're taking a break, that's okay too. We've all done that. I've tried to quit many times. I have. I want to go back to sleep. I was so much happier when I was asleep. I could go golfing every weekend. 36 holes. <laughs> the same hook and slice over and over again. <laughs> As we closed our eyes, we came together this day. The thing I love about that exercise is the gentleness of it. You know, in the past, when people say, close my eyes, slam them shut. And, and then the, the, the facilitator will say, take a deep breath. And I'll, I'm ready. Ready for meditation now. <laughs> How we do one thing is how we do everything. What we bring to it and what we give meaning to. So what are you giving meaning to in your life? Because you, you get to call the shots. You are the director and the producer and the actor in your own movie. You know? You are. I am. What's it going to be? And what is it that, and, and the adoration, finding the things in our lives that we adore. And you may decide you're adoring something. You may decide that your brother does believe he's a chicken and you, don't, you need the eggs. There may be a more interesting idea that you can start to adore and fall in love with. And that is the evolution of consciousness. That's the new grooves that we put lay down in consciousness within our own brain. I mean, we study this now. Going to see Daniel Pink tonight, the guy that wrote A Whole New Mind. Excited about it. It's a whole new mind. It's an opportunity every day to step up and be powerful and wonderful. And, and to live in the freedom and live in the creativity. And then whatever shows up, to use that powerfully and wonderfully. As I said, you know, you don't know your best until you've been your worst. You don't know about blame. So that you can step into responsibility. So if you've done blame and you got that mastered, fantastic. Now it's about taking responsibility for your life. Because you're responsible. I'm responsible. And that's a great thing. That's the dominion. That's the freedom we've been given. We're not stuck anywhere. I can give meaning to whatever I decide to give meaning to. And it's powerful. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. So it is.